Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here for a special one-on-one interview for the Everyday Mindfulness Show this week's episode. And this week's special guest is Chris Reyna. And Chris, I'm going to let Chris tell you all about Chris, as we always like to do here on the show. But know that as you're listening, if you're thinking, I want to learn more about Chris right now, we're going to have links. Everything is always on our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Go there. You'll find links to Chris, maybe interviews, other information Chris has given us all right there at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Let's get right into Chris, though, because, Chris, you deal with leadership and mindfulness, so I want you to be able to tell everybody how you do that and what ways you do that. Uh, If you can just tell us about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a mindfulness researcher and scholar, and I do a lot of consulting work with leaders, helping everyone understand a little bit more about what mindfulness is all about, Uh, given that our attention is a scarce resource. We're constantly making trade-offs every day on how we're giving our resources and our attention to various things in our lives. Um, and so when we do that, uh, you know, certain things are getting shortchanged and other things are getting too much attention. So in the leadership realm, how do you sort of do that uh, in a more effective way is, is a thing I talk a lot of, to, to a lot of folks about. Um, so when it comes to the research, there's research around that. Uh, when it comes to consulting work and coaching leaders, it's helping them uh, do that. So that's sort of a, a little bit about about my background. And so are you doing this at an organizational level, individual level, both like major corporations what or nonprofits? What, where is your group that you're with the most often? Yeah, it's a good question. So I work with a, a lot of different groups so, uh, from local middle schools uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, to working with Fortune 100 companies and coaching leaders around mindfulness, uh, to teaching mindfulness in my MBA courses uh, here at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. So sort of all levels, a lot of folks uh, can really benefit by being better able to deploy their attention. And at the very basic level, that's how I talk about mindfulness, is this skillful deployment of attention. Uh, and a lot of folks will say, you know, mindfulness is not for me, or I don't understand what mindfulness is all about, um, and I just doesn't work for me. But I often say, you know, who, who can't benefit by being better able to control who and what gets attention throughout the course of the day? Uh, so at a very basic level, that's a great starting point to talk to people about mindfulness. Well, and the irony of mindfulness isn't for me is that you're being mindful that you don't want to be mindful. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're choosing where that attention goes, right? And I love what you said there about I help people direct their attention. Uh, and so let's go there. What are key questions that you ask someone that helps them have that aha uh-huh, uh, that creates that moment of, ooh, maybe I do want to learn more. Maybe there's more here for me to dig into. Yeah, so a lot of my consulting work focuses around leading without ego, and that's the name of the consulting company that, that I run, but it also goes back to everything that I coach. And so understanding that every time and every way we show up throughout the day is in some way reinforcing self. 
it's not a bad thing. It's the way humans are. Uh, but unless you're able to be aware of that, you can't really see how it plays out. And what I mean by that is that uh, we're constantly evaluating what we're talking or who we're talking to and what we're talking about in relation to self. Right. So what does this mean for me? How do I add to the conversation? How do I show that I know what I'm talking about? It's, it's ego driven in a lot of ways. Um, and because of that, uh, authentic connections are limited because we're not listening to actually hear. We're listening to plug our version of reality into the conversation. Um, and so that's that's really where where I focus a lot of attention is, you know, what's going on in the mind when we're having conversations or when we're at work or when we show up at home to greet our partner, all these times of transition, what's going on in the mind uh, the body can only be present by definition. The mind is often somewhere else, uh, helping people to, to sort of understand that throughout the day, their mind often is in the future and in the past. And that also coincides quite nicely when they're feeling anxiety. Um, so they start to say, yeah, you're right. In the present moment, I'm okay right now. It's when I think about the future or think about the past or what I wish would have happened, that's when I slip into this anxiety-ridden life. And that's when I show up at my less than my best what i love the concept of are you listening or are you just trying to see the information you need to make another choice with something we all do we do it in marriages and relationships with children we do not we start when our partner starts to say something we start to jump ahead in our heads of how we're going to respond but they're not done talking and we're already not listening i see this really prevalent when i do i'll lead all day one to three day deep dive how to be a better presenter and we teach the military how to train on a more effective level and one of their biggest fears they want me to teach them is how do you handle the heckler you know we and my topic is a very sensitive topic so they're like how do you handle the person heckling you and one of the first things we discuss is all right well what are you doing when you're being heckled you're normally already counter arguing before they finish their statement right the moment somebody as you perceive heckles you and they might not even be heckling you but you perceive it that because of all the stories in your head and everything, they're heckling me. We start to go, all right, how do I shut them down? And that's starting to now play in our mind. While the person is giving a rational, what they believe logical argument, we're not listening. We're thinking, how do I shut them down? And then we fire off an answer that they then look at you and go, did you even hear what I said at the end? And we look foolish, we look argumentative because we were never listening and understanding them. Where are they coming from that allows them to have that thought process that, that instilled that thought process? And where am I coming from that allows me to think that's wrong or that tells me that's wrong? It's such a different place of listening. It, it absolutely is. And, and I think when we get tied up further, again, in, in the ego, not intentionally, but perhaps if we are a leader, we are in a position of power, of influence, a place where people look. And so we, we often think we need all the answers. And so we create that reality for ourselves, which ultimately stresses us out and, and puts us in a situation when we say and do the wrong things. Yeah, and what's interesting is what domains do we listen in and what domains do we not listen in? So, for instance, if I'm talking about myself, I know that when I'm conducting those trainings, when I'm on stage, I'm very good at that. That's my professional presence. That's something that has a strength of mine. I'm not so good at that all the time in my personal relationships. Like I can catch that, oops, I'm cutting them off. In fact, it can drive my partner nuts sometimes that I'm like, oh, let's just get to the point. And I, and I don't say that. Instead, my mind just cuts off and goes, well, 
you know, <laughs> and spills off the next thought and acknowledging why, what's going on there? Why when this setting, am I perfectly good with listening? And this one, maybe it's defensiveness or it's uh, self-value or self-worth or not valuing the other person's words enough. They can certainly give that impression what's going on there. Is that part of that key conversation to understanding the listening? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's also differences just uh, uh, during the day, differences during transition times, going from work to the home life uh, provides a whole new set of you know, things you're, you're, you're paying attention to. And, and perhaps, um, you know, w- when your partner says something, you know, you saw the, the entry into the doorway of the house going differently. You wanted to sit on the couch or you wanted to do whatever. And when a request comes, perhaps, or something you're greeted with that's unexpected, because it, it's different than what you, what you thought. It's really no different than the heckler example that you said, right, is, is our version of reality doesn't match up with the reality presented, which is, um, you know, one way of defining stress is, you know, what you you know, what you want and what you get are different. I Thus, love this. I the love gap it. Is yeah. yeah. So for everyone out there to think, you know, do you go home tonight and ask your partner, if you're with a partner, what do you, when I enter the house, what are your expectations of what we need to discuss at that moment? And may I share my thoughts of what I hope is going to happen when I walk in the house so we can come to a common understanding. So we're not frustrating each other. Maybe there's a really simple, like, can I have, can I watch that show for 30 minutes when I first get there just to go brain dead, whatever it is, right? Uh, And then can we dive into that conversation? Uh, And it could be either partner doing this or the partner might say, when you come in the house, if you would actually just take the kids or take this or take that for 30 minutes, I'm happy to give you the hour after that. Could you just take that and you have an understanding that, okay, okay, I get that. Uh, Is that part of that? Having those discussions that where everybody's being mindful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just think about the idea. I mean, what, you come home one day, you had a great day at work, you want to share it, right? So the, the next day, you, you had a bad day at work, you don't want to share it. Now cross that with your partner's day at home or at work, uh, them wanting to share or not share their day, and you have an infinite number of possibilities. Add kids and pets to the mix. Um, there's there's a lot of, of things going on. Um, so I think being being communicative, being clear and I teach my students and, and do a lot of consulting work around this idea of being authentic and being yourself, but asking for what you need. That doesn't mean that you don't ask for what you need or communicate. So there's there's sort of task buckets and there's relationship buckets. Um, and you know the task is, hey, I need some time to be by myself, but it has to be done in the right way through the relationship. So you have to talk to your partner or your colleague or your subordinate in a way that communicates the task that you need accomplished from them or their support in, but it has to be delivered in a way that gives ultimate precedence to the relationship. And that's where leaders fail, uh, which that's also where we fail at home. It's human nature. That's where we fail. It's, it's not that we need certain things. It's that we deliver the message around what we need in a way that doesn't give enough importance to the relationship. And so if I'm understanding correctly, is that they put the task in front of the relationship? Is that, is that what's happening there? Yeah. I mean, if we, if you think about leadership, we often talk about two large buckets of leadership things or behaviors that leaders exhibit task related and relationship related stuff. Um, 
it's, there's no problem to ask for folks to, to accomplish tasks, but are you asking in a way that prefaces uh, the, the relationship that you have with that person and sort of makes them feel valued? That's, that's the piece. It comes down to making people feel valued, and there's a way to get tasks accomplished that makes people feel valued, and there's a way to get tasks accomplished that just gets tasks accomplished but actually hurts your relationship in the long Yeah, I mean, parenting can be the biggest trap here. And, and I learned this years ago. Uh, our kids are older now. One of our kids was younger, and we were talking with this therapist, and they said, well, what's the routine? And we say, we come home and you know, try to get your homework done. They go, really? Well, that's interesting. Is that what you want to do when you come home from work all day? Do you really want to jump into all of your work right away? And we're like, well, no. They're like, well, don't you want a break? We're like, yeah. Don't you think they need a break? So what's wrong with all these things that you've been taught by society or no, like no video games, no this, no that, when if that's their release and that's going to give them a mind shutdown that they need and, and then you can say, okay, but that's fine for an hour, right? We'll give you that. But then we ex- the, here's the expectation after that hour this, that we can either have that discussion each day or you attack some of that, you know, get some of that work done but have an understanding of they, what they need and what they're expecting to happen when they walk through that door. It doesn't mean you're both going to agree, but what are the expectations of where you can come to common ground? It was a big aha moment for us. Like, oh my gosh, what a no-brainer. But his parents were so taught, oh, make sure they're doing everything right. And we forget about what do they need along that journey. And it's a great point, and it brings up this larger idea of transition times. Um, so whether I'm working with physicians or I'm working with my MBA students or coaching, it really comes back to this idea of how do you manage transition periods. So students coming, you know, in middle school coming back from recess, is it really realistic if you're the teacher to expect them to sit quietly and read, right? It, it can be a, a tool that, that's helpful for students to teach them that transition time, but are they at their are they physiologically able to do that? There's adrenaline. They were playing basketball. They were playing sports. I mean, are their bodies physiologically in a state? And remember, our, our body and mind are often mirror images of each other. So the body has adrenaline. The mind has adrenaline. Lots of thoughts racing. And then we're asking students to sit down and read. It's an interesting, you know, pairing of activities. So, um, you know, there's different ways to to think about how we, we manage those uh, transition periods. But the the, the I guess the core aspect that I'm getting at here is are we mindful of these, uh, these transition moments? Yeah. I, what you just said brought was so brilliant. I was the hyper kid who couldn't sit still. Absolutely. You know, I was a kid that would rock back in the chair and not obnoxiously, but once a year, maybe, you know, I think maybe once in high school, it went all the way back. You're right. But, but you think, all right, what if they just said, Mike, when you come in, we just want you to take 15 seconds of, or every student, right? Let's just take a 15 seconds of breathe in, breathe out. It would have calmed me because I know it works for me now and I'm still hyper. That doesn't leave you. Uh, and it would have calmed me. But instead I was like, blah, 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 blah. I had to talk and then I would get in trouble because I came in with that energy and needed to put that energy somewhere. If they'd given me the transition to go to mindfulness, it could have been differently, you know, as far as how that went, how that transitioned. I think that's brilliant. What are other major transitions we should all think of or be aware of or sit back and go, how am I aware of that, my own transition or how I create them for others? We've named one, home to work, right, that transition. Uh, we've named now the, the child coming in from the recess, the student. What are some other major transitions in our days that we need to be aware of? Or maybe major life transitions. I don't know if that plays in here too. Yes, yeah, so I think no 
particular time transition during the day is is too small. So one thing that I work with leaders a lot on, um, so it's, I always joke, you know, if I'm giving you homework and the homework is to meditate or be mindful 15 minutes a day right before uh, going into to the office, that's the only way that I can be sure that I never get asked to give a talk again because no one has 15 minutes to add something to their lives. Uh, so people listening might also think that as well. None of us do. So I always start when I introduce mindfulness with this idea of, what do you do every single day that you can do more mindfully? How do we do everyday mindfulness, really? Um, and, this, and this idea of, hey, I'm transitioning. I, I parked my car, and now I'm walking into the office. Do I need to be rehearsing my presentation uh, that I'm about to give or going through the mental checklist of you know, what I have to do today? Is that adding anything positive to your life? No is likely the answer. And secondarily... You're missing out on life as it goes past you. You're not noticing uh, how beautiful it is outside, or you're not noticing the coworker who smiled at you that you didn't smile back because you're so in your head. And so it, it hurts us doubly. It, it makes us anxiety-ridden because we're already jumping into what the day is going to be before we're even there. So body and mind get tense. And then you miss out on the quality of life and the relationships that, that you pass. And guess what? People make judgments of you so if you don't smile and you don't acknowledge them they think well perhaps you know he or she's in a bad mood or perhaps they don't like me and so even when you're not consciously sending signals people are picking up signals about you so you're sort of hurting yourself twice so I don't want to belabor that but a, a transition from the car to the workplace uh, can be another simple one uh, transitioning from the well, crowded- I wanna, let's pause there I think you bring up sure. a really brilliant point I know, so we, we moved, I've always, always wanted to live on a lake. We've talked about living on water. So we found this place that worked for us, and we recently moved in this past year. And I make a point to eat outside every chance I get because the reason we moved here was to have that view, to look at that view. And to look at it through windows is great when it's raining, and when it's, but when I can be out there and the weather allows. And it adds no time to my day. Because the door to go outside is five feet from the kitchen table, six feet, uh, whatever it is. It may, it's no, I'm, but it forces me to be in nature, just to be on the patio and just to eat out there. It makes a world of difference in what your mind does, right? If you sit in the kitchen table, that's real easy to look at that phone and to start looking online and do all these things that brings craziness into your life. But when you're outside and you're looking at whatever it is, maybe, and some people might be going, Michael, well, not everybody's going to be near water or near mountains or whatever view. That's all right. Is there a tree in your backyard? Is there a bush in your backyard? Is there uh, something you can just look around the streets? I know when I'm traveling and I'm in other worlds, I have no problem being mindful of sitting outside at a restaurant and looking at chaos and finding the wonder in it, uh, you know, and the, the joy in it. I think you bring up something really important there and that we can all find something that we're already doing, like eating. And what do you do during the eating to take in something of life that can calm us down or appreciate Exactly. Or another example is eating more mindfully, just an yep. extra few chews uh, per, you know, per, per each of the food that you're eating and just enjoying the flavors, the sensations, the, I mean, there's often cited, you know, uh, exercise around eating a grape, uh, mindfully eating a grape and just, you know, what is that like when you take the time to notice it? Yeah, it does mean you eat a little slower. So there's some time invested there. Uh, but it, it gets you out of your head, and I think that's the brilliant point. So people ask me what mindfulness is, and we can give all sorts of definitions, and of course there's the, the famous definition of mindfulness, but to me it's, it's just really when your body and mind are aligned. Just very simple, when you get out of your thinking brain into your being body. 
um, that's that's where mindfulness happens, and that's where the 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 influx of thoughts that are so stressful they slow down, uh, and then you notice your shoulders go down, and your whole body mirrors your mind, and vice versa. I noticed it the other day. I'm driving down the highway. And I'm driving by somebody and I look, you know how it's, it's natural human tendency that when you drive past someone, what do you always do? You look at the person, it's natural tendency. But when we grew up, you looked at every car because you had nothing else to do in the car. So everybody in the car would be looking this way or that way as you pass cars. And what I noticed was nobody does that anymore because they're looking at devices. Hmm, interesting. Right? So we used to play games to make time pass on the roads, right? Because that made you aware of this billboards and this or that. And it wasn't mindfulness, and yet it was, right? It mm-hmm. was this. And what's interesting is I know people that go, oh, during that time, I use that time to listen to this podcast or that podcast. But it sounds like an assignment instead mm-hmm. of being present. So how do you avoid the getting caught up in putting the to-do to be mindfulness that's more like an assignment versus being present? It's a, it's a challenging one because I think our default way of operating is not mindful. It's, it's very mindless. It's, it's rote. It gets through the day. It keeps us chugging along toward goal accomplishment, and it's not about the journey at all. So I think when you start, you have to create structure. I'm a big person on structure. So whether it's a, it's a mindfulness app that, that pings you during the day to remind you to take a break, uh, or it's just checking in with your body when you sat at the computer screen for far too long and you feel some tenseness in your shoulders. Use that. Note it. Say, yeah, my shoulders are tense or they're not relaxed right now. And use that as a motivator to go on a three-minute walk outside. Um, I used to work in a, in a field where I had a design person working closely with me who would translate my like leadership development curricula into something that looked uh, you know, fancy and, and nice. And I'd often say the 20-20-20 rule, and it's every 20 minutes, focus on something 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds. Um, and it was because of eye strain that I was saying that because she was doing such detailed work. But I think that's such a great way to think about it. Every 20 minutes, can we focus on something other than what's going on in our mind or what the task is just to take a little micro break. Well, I love the 20 feet away too, right? Because the 20 feet away is most likely to put us in a window view, right? Yep. Something that's not in front of my desk because normally our desks are not 20 feet long. So something's happening that I'm going to look at. Maybe it's a person. Maybe, I'm gonna focus. Maybe there's someone walking by. Oh my gosh, I haven't talked to John or Julie in forever. There they are, right? Whatever it is. I think that's awesome. I love the 2020. I've never heard that before. I love it. Yeah, so little little things like that, like alarms, um, you know, checking in with the body um, is a really big one. Um, turning off your devices, making the decision to turn it off. I mean, have a plan in place so that if there's emergencies, of course, right, because we're always worried that the time we turn our phone off, something's going to happen. So, you know, let yourself disengage in a structured way. And, and I tell leaders this all the time. You know, you, you can't do email all day, every day. It's not healthy. You can't do it. The amount of startup costs that it takes constantly when you do an email and then go back to a task and do an email, you're wasting so much of your attention. Can you get it down to email being two hours, you know, midday, uh, you know, when you're maybe not at your best creative thinking, do some emails that need to get out there that don't require a lot, a lot of thinking, and then turn them off. But hand in hand with that, you have to communicate. Remember, it's all about relationships. You have to communicate to the folks 
who are expecting you and who you've always responded to immediately, you got to sort of train them on, hey, I'm trying something new. This is this is helpful for me. Uh, and so my response times are going to be different because as soon as you just change your behavior, that's very stressful to other people. So you have to be mindful of how you affect other people, even if you are trying to be more mindful. So Chris, what are some great examples of what mindfulness has done for your clients? Like, do you have specific examples of this leader made this shift and this happened? And I know mindfulness is not just purely about results driven, but yet in a way, it's good to realize that mindfulness can help get results. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes people think, oh, they shouldn't be together. I think actually the opposite. Part of being mindful is understanding the, the positives that mindfulness can bring. So what are some great examples of results? Yeah, so I think they all come down to learning and and understanding that relationships matter. And then when relationships matter, the results come. So I've I've talked to quite a few leaders who just have realized that way more than they've ever noticed before, there's sort of an interconnectedness between everyone at work. And so the folks that you never gave attention to or cared about or cared to notice, like those are the people who show up in in amazing and different ways of for you. So it's the folks who, you know, do security at at the bottom uh, of the elevator that you board every day and getting to know them. That's what makes life really worth living and having that connection. And, And when you're in your head, you can't form those authentic connections. And so there's so many anecdotal stories around just stopping and having a conversation and learning that someone that you passed every single day, who perhaps wasn't you know, someone that you saw that you, you should get to know, just taking the effort and getting to know someone, you find something amazing in, in common uh, with that person. And that makes us all feel good. And it's such a great way to start. And then guess what? You have that experience and then you go talk to someone upstairs and you share that emotion and it's contagious uh, with someone else. And so uh, when it comes to creation of a culture in an organization, um, it goes. It, it, it's you can't say enough how much this contagion of, of positive emotions and and positive outlook and realizing that we are in control of everything uh, that that we respond to. Right, we're not in control of anything that happens to us a lot of times, but how we respond to situations is in our control. And so, the amount of empowerment that that leaders have felt when they realize I can control how I react. Uh, to a situation is is pretty neat. And then the stories just come piling in of, hey, there's this one time when I was going to do this and I didn't do this because that's not the right way and that's not in line with my underlying values. And so I could take a step back and pause and move forward with more of a considered response. And that made all the difference in the world to getting my team on board with my vision or you know executing on, on the product plan that we didn't think we could get done in time or saving, you know, the, the bid or whatever the story is, it, it quickly starts about relationship, but the end result is very hard results of, of money saved and time saved and, you know, finances brought in ultimately when you give the relationship, uh, precedent. Well, and what's great is that how much fun that is. It's fun, right? So, and how much people notice it that you might not even realize and notice it. Recently, I was uh, at a wedding. Karen and I were at a wedding and we were sitting, a friend of ours came and sat with us to talk to us for a little bit. And this friend had traveled with us recently. We had never traveled together before. We had taken this cruise. 
And they were there. And they said, you know, I was going to send you a note, Mike, but since you're here, I want to say it to you in person. And I said, oh. And they go, yeah, when we were on the road, we noticed that, I, I noticed that you just love to go up to people and engage. Like, no matter if we were on the cruise ship, if we were walking around the streets of, you know, we were in, in Amsterdam, some other countries, you'd just be like, start talking to people. And you'd ask them, like, well, what are you, like, where are you from? And what do you do? And what do you, and you just, you seem to dive into these conversations. And it was fun to watch you love learning about people. I just want to say thank you because I asked, started to ask myself, am I doing that with people? This is the person talking to me in my life. Am I opening myself up? To, and I had never, realize that I do that because I just, you know, you're just being you and trying to have fun and, and you didn't realize what an impact that has on the people watching you. And, and this was really kind of this person to come up to me and say, I want you to know what I noticed because it was neat to watch. It made me feel wonderful, but it also made me realize, don't take that for granted, like treasure that and really make sure I'm doing that mindfully also, not just because it's who I am, but being mindful of maybe when my energy's down, maybe that's what's important, that I say hi to someone because it'll lift me and lift others. That's, that's so well well said. And, and another way to, to maybe add to that a bit is, you know, every single person that we come into contact with, we have three ways to leave them. Better than when we found them or neutral or, you know, less good than we found them. And can we always shoot to be at least neutral to positive? And a smile takes no effort. It takes no time. Uh, it actually takes so fewer muscles than it takes to frown. Um, but oftentimes we are frowning when we're walking down the street, not at the person, but at the thoughts in our own head, and we're not even aware of it. Um, so just a mental shift of, hey, I want to smile. I want to be, you know, I, I want to give someone a good day as I walk by. It's amazing what that does to your own mind because the body and mind are aligned when you're mindful. And so those thoughts go away. Those negative thoughts go away just if you acknowledge, engage uh, a stranger on, on the street. I love it. I want to thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. What What is a, a book that's had a big impact on you on this journey or that you have find really helps others? There's a book on looking uh, that I enjoy very much. Uh, it's, it's a book that you know, urges you to go on walks and go on walks along the same city block with different folks you know, with you. And how do you see the world differently when you walk with your five-year-old versus your partner versus your best friend who is a lawyer or an architect or whatever the case may be? Uh, but the same vantage point, the same city block uh, is so different through different folks' eyes. Uh, or the puppy dog, right, who is so excited to be on the walk, who thinks this is the best time of day. And guess what? The last walk was also the best time of the day. Uh, but yet we just see the same city block as the same old mundane block we always travel. Uh, but when we stop and we, we enjoy it, there's so much there that's, that's different. Just like the dog goes to the same spot and views it as completely fresh and new, because it is. How many other dogs and people have walked that same spot since the dog was out there last? But we just sort of see past that in our um, adult lives. We're, we're in our heads. And so all of that beauty is sort of not open to us because we're not looking for it. Do you know the author? of It's On Looking. It's a great title. I do know the author, but it escapes me. At no problem. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it from you before the show airs. So everyone listening right now, it's on, it'll be on our show notes. They'll be able to find it. I have found that what you just said, the walk to be so brilliantly true with going around the lake on our boat. I know that sounds like a difference, but it's not. You go around the same lake by the same houses, but who I'm sitting with, it, whether I'm kayaking around or if I'm on a pontoon boat, who I'm sitting with 
changes the whole ride around the lake around the exact same houses and you'll even talk about oh look at that or look oh my gosh i've been i've been by that house now 20 times and never noticed that but it took somebody else's eyes or perspective i think it's a brilliant concept so i want to thank you for all the brilliance you've shared today with us and for everyone listening right now remember you can learn all about chris it's chris arena at everydaymindfulnessshow.com for everyone watching and listening until next time may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.